God, we are just so thankful to you for everyone who serves, and especially in uh, the capacity as a teacher, and even more especially as a teacher here in this church, from uh, our brother Richard uh, to those who preach, as well as to everyone of our cool club, our Sunday school teachers. Lord, we lift them up to you and we bring them before your throne of grace. We know the heavy responsibilities that they have and in fact your word tells us that they would be judged more strictly and that not many should presume to be teachers. But for those who have served you and especially who have served you now for many years, we know that you will give them a great reward. Lord, I pray that they will see the fruit of their labor in this lifetime as well as for eternity. To know that uh, their efforts and uh, their efforts will have deposited grace and faith into many young hearts. So we are thankful to them. We pray your blessings upon them. We pray that they will continue to equip them uh, for this ministry. And as for today, Lord, we want to pray for I want to pray, Lord, that our hearts might be open to your word. In John chapter 6, let the richness of your word come into our hearts, Lord, that we might be transformed from one degree of glory to another, from faith unto faith, blessings unto blessing, and grace upon grace. So, Father, I pray too for Brother Richard as he speaks your word. God, you anoint him for the task ahead. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Kokfai. Good morning, everyone. Sit and relax now that the presidential election is over. We can get back to life. Huh? <clears throat> Two passages to read with you this morning. And we'll try to read that quickly. First is from John 6 and later from Matthew 14. You want to read with me? When the evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. But now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat walking on water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. Immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Next one is from Matthew 14. This is the, the first part has transpired. Now we come to the later part where Matthew reports this. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. So I saw a similar passage recorded in Mark 6, which we will not refer to. Here are two passages. We read of Jesus walking on water and Peter also, likewise, briefly for a moment. We all know that the Bible is full of miracles. In the Old Testament, there are 
so many miracles which are beyond our counting. Creation of the world and of man, the flood, the ten plagues of Egypt, uh, the Red Sea divided, the Jordan River divided, the walls of Jericho falling down, and so on and so forth. There are so many miracles which are, in a way, very common with those who are having their trust and faith in God. And then in the New Testament, the greatest of all miracles, of course, is the virgin birth of Jesus and his resurrection. Uh, The greatest of all miracles and the greatest of all mysteries. And during his three-year ministry on earth, uh, Jesus performed at least 34 miracles. There could have been more, but not described in the Gospels. And his disciples also performed miracles. So miracles were fairly common, were very acceptable. And miracles, in fact, are divine ministries, which are beyond our explanation, although some have tried to explain them. In our passages today, we have two miracles of Jesus walking on water and then Peter briefly. But I reckon the authors, uh, John and Matthew, had more to say than merely recording these miraculous events. And I've picked three passages uh, in our, uh, three passages, yeah, in our two uh, references for application to our hearts. The first one is from John chapter 6. Go back to John chapter 6, verse 17, which says it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. So if you have your Bible, don't worry about the screen. John 16, John 6 verse 17. It was dark and Jesus had not joined them. The first scene here is of the disciples who had gone out to the lake, but without Jesus, and it, was, it became dark, and uh, rough waters hit the boat, and they felt that their life was threatened. Last week, an old school friend who was my buddy came back from overseas to celebrate his and his foreign wife's um, birthday. After dinner, I shook his wife's hand to thank him. She took both my hands. You know, when someone, a girl takes both your hands, if it's a young lady, you've got to be uh, wondering, but if she was an elderly woman, so I, was, I felt quite safe. <laughs> she took both my hands and asked in a very concerned and sober tone, what is the world coming to? She knew I was in the Christian ministry. It's so, so confusing and chaotic and frightening, she said. We really, really don't know what's happening in world events. We don't know where we are going. It's so dark. We don't know what to do. What's going to happen to the future generation, to our children and our children's children, she asked. And of course, she was expressing a great sense of helplessness, uh, which many people do today, except this foreign lady was not making social conversation. She was speaking from the position of a long-time ambassador of a major European country. She had and her husband had stayed in many places in the world, Pakistan, Melbourne, London, and so on, and she had been advising her government on world affairs. Now, as she's due for retirement, she was saying that governments all over the world are at a loss. We 
don't know what direction to go. And as we look at the turmoil in the world, we find that it is something which we are very, very confused. It's a dark world. We cannot deny it. And the Bible tells us that in the darkness of sin, the darkness of sin the world is in, which is going on an ever-downward spiral. Tiong Baru, you still have that spiral staircase at the back, and I used to enjoy running up and down. But it's no enjoyment when the world is going down on a spiral descent, economically, politically, environmentally, morally. Storms become common now, hurricanes, financial meltdowns are recurring, then we hear every day of riots and killings, they are stemming from man's uh, deceit and man's insatiable greed. And some of the signs are causing governments and leaders all over the world to scramble to find some solution to the world crisis. So I trust that our leaders go on their retreat. They won't scramble, but they'll just put their hearts and their thoughts before the Lord, peacefully committing it to Him and letting Him lead them. But seldom in history have men been as disturbed about the future as we are today. We urgently long at least to have some glimpse of the future, some wisdom, some word of prophecy, longing for some illumination or some profound word about the future of mankind. And uh, President Shen candidates have tried to give some sense of wisdom and future for the country of Singapore. But my ambassador friend, lady friend, was right. It's a frightening, chaotic world and we don't know where we are heading, and we don't know what to do. So the first phrase we have is that it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. The people in Isaiah's time, who lived about 700 years before Christ, felt the same way also. And God gave, through this prophet Isaiah, a most wonderful prophecy which we can see now if your PowerPoint is working, a most wonderful prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9. <laughs> okay, don't blame me now. Huh? I did my job. Let me read Isaiah chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a light. And the prophecy to the distraught and the distressed people of Israel in Isaiah's time, is this prophecy that was made 700 years before Christ came. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And this was a prophecy referring to the Messiah, to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. As John tells us in the opening chapters, if you have done the opening chapters in John chapter 1, it says, in Christ was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So when Jesus, in this narrative, appeared before his frightened disciples in the lake, their fears were dispelled, because they experienced straight away 
in the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power and the light of Jesus shining through the dark storm. When they took him into the boat, the storm was stilled. And so, with us, as we look around, as we hear news of darkness and disasters and catastrophes, and we don't know what the future is like and what the future will be for our children and grandchildren, for us, until we open our hearts and our lives for the light of Jesus to shine through in this dark world, not to shine through in this world, but to shine through in our hearts and in our lives. If we don't do that, then the storms of life will continually rage in our hearts and we will live in darkness and fear. Second phrase is found in John chapter 6, verse 20. It's a wonderful phrase. If you forget everything, take this one back with you. And you don't need to do a lot of memorizing. I can remember it, so you must be able to do so. It says, John 6 verse 20, It is I, don't be afraid. That's all you need to remember for today's message. It is I, don't be afraid. And this phrase recurs in all the three accounts in John, Matthew and Mark. And it is the central thought for our meditation today. Many of you know I love the sea and fishing. I've never encountered a storm at sea. <clears throat> the closest I had was a 12-foot, that's about three and a half meter, fishing boat we owned many years ago when staying on the west coast seaside before land reclamation took away the sea and made it into the west coast highway. So on a breezy Saturday afternoon, some friends went out on our fishing boat it has no engine, just what they call row locks. You got to put the locks there and row, row locks. So they piled in eight passengers, 12-footer, eight passengers was max. And using muscle power, they rowed out about, must be about 300 meters on this breezy Saturday afternoon. And they thought they were going to have a fine time. The winds increased, the waves got higher and stronger. My neighbor and I, who were watching from the shore, saw that they were rowing with all their might but not making any headway back to the shore, and the wind was blowing stronger. So we went on this small engine boat, and to everyone's relief, the passengers were rescued by us. We brought back most of them to lighten the boat so that it could be rowed back. Needless to say, the boat could have capsized as the winds increased. I'm sure most of you would have more harrowing tales to tell, but the point of the story is that the fears of the passengers subsided when they saw us and our rescue boat. And that was the point of John's story. The disciples in the darkness and in the storm saw Jesus coming from the shore, walking on waters. And when he said, it is I, do not fear, they took him into the boat and the, word, the Bible says the waves subsided and so did their fears. I guess the difference between our small boat rescue and Jesus was that we could not walk on water and neither could we steal the storm. But nonetheless, we rescued some people. It is I, do not fear. And the Greek words for it is I is ego imai, meaning I am. Reminding us and re-echoing re the words of God to Moses at the burning bush, I am who I am. And although here I am is a normal expression, 
Yet if you have been studying John's Gospel, you will observe the number of I am's Jesus has, uh, has said. So unique to the Gospel, which identifies Jesus as God, as the Son of God. I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the resurrection and the life, I'm the way, the truth and the life and so on. So all the I am's of Jesus are found throughout John's Gospel. And so when Jesus said, as he appeared at the, uh, to the distressed disciples and said, it is I, do not fear, we as readers would recognize his divine authority and power. The disciples did not initially, but later we read that they recognized him and they said, truly, you are the Son of God. The Bible says they worshipped him and said, truly, you are the Son of God. It is I. Do not be afraid. And there's nothing more powerful to comfort God's people than these words of assurance. It is I. Do not be afraid. And these are the words of the Lord. These are not the words of Tenkok Fai or Richard Chiao, whoever. It is I. As you hear the the Lord speaking to you in the distresses of your life, do not be afraid. You know, when I was a young schoolboy, my father bought me my first bicycle. I was quite young. I was learning how to ride. I fell off the bike as I cycled over some gravel on the road, and the bike fell on me. In fear more than in pain, I cried and cried out to my father, who was not too far down the road. He ran to me, he hugged me in his arms, and he said, it's all right, it's all right. Almost at once, my pain seemed to have subsided, but more, I felt terribly comforted. And the fear that caused my heart to beat extra fast was now assuaged because my father's arms were around me and his words assured me. And the memory of my father holding me and assuring me and comforting me has been etched in my mind through all these long years. And throughout history, God comes to his people, comes to you and I again and again with these simple words of comfort. You don't have to have great theology. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to know your Bible upside down. But if you remember the words the Lord said to his disciples, as he says to us today, it is I. Do not be afraid, so that we may have the confidence to face life in all its turmoils and troubles and carrying on in his strength. Finally, the third phrase is, you of little faith. The words is Jesus said to Peter when he sank into the water after walking briefly on the water. You of little faith. Why did you doubt? Why are you so afraid? Last week when I was leaving, a Christian brother who, was, who has endured many chemo treatments for his cancer, he said to me at his door, Richard, I'm getting tired. It's been a long and painful journey over these past months. I find it harder and harder each day to bear with it. And those of you who go through similar suffering can understand what he meant. So, it is not the world that is made up of fearful people. Christians also undergo distress and suffering. And don't believe if the Christian or the pastor stands up and says, you should not suffer, you should not feel bad, you should not have disease, you should not feel sick. 
Christians also go through all these. As any other human being, we feel helpless, hopeless, and especially when our faith is tested to the limit, when we are pushed to the limit, or when temptation comes very strong upon us and we succumb to it, our faith begins to waver and darkness and fear loom upon us. And there are many Christians today and in our midst who find hard life very hard to bear. Like the great prophet Elijah. We may even wish to die. When Elijah's life was threatened, after winning the greatest victory over the false prophet of Baal, when his life was threatened by Queen Jezebel, he fled into the wilderness and he cried out to God when he came under a tree and he said, God, it is enough, let me die. It is enough, let me die. And as you read the passage, you'll find that God ministered to him, restored him, and in so many words and ways, God in his compassion and love told him the same message that God has spoken through all the ages to all his suffering and distressed people and leaders and prophets. Be strong and courageous. I'm with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be with you. I will not fail you. Don't be afraid. Move on in faith. These are the words which Jesus has for his disciples and has for all of us. Christians are not spared suffering. So what is the difference between a Christian who suffers and a non-Christian who suffers? What is the difference? Over the past one and a half years, <clears throat> when I conducted the funeral services for two of my very dear friends, passed away at different times, but both very swiftly. It was a very painful experience for their families and also for me. After the services, I said to some friends, I'm so glad I was able to say these words at the funeral. We shall see our brother again in Jesus' presence where he's, he's gone. This is our hope. And in Jesus' presence, there's joy and peace and the promise that he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, for the old order has passed away. This is what makes a difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. Like all men, Christians are tossed about by the storms of life, threatened by the pains of life, by illness, by cancer. We become distraught sometimes to the point of wanting to give up. But we have a hope and an assurance and a future and a life beyond our mortal existence. You know Peter, who was given to act upon impulse, Peter often failed and came to grief, and his faith swung from one end to the other between an undying loyalty and love for Christ to a triple denial of the Lord. And here in this boat, we see his faith again. He had con complete confidence in the Lord to walk on water. Wow, that was really great faith. He took a few steps on water. He could walk. And then there was this complete fear of his situation as he saw the waters and the winds around him, and he sank into the water. But 
As we all know, Peter never finally failed. For always in that moment of his failure, he clutched at Christ, Lord, save me. And Jesus stretched out his hand and pulled him into the boat. And every time, every time, not only in this boat scene, but every time in his life, when Peter fell, he rose again. He's a man who gets up and goes on again every time he falls. And this is what a Christian is. A Christian is not a man who never fails and who never falls. He's a man who gets up and goes on again every time he fails and he falls. And Peter's failures, as he got up again, made him love Jesus more and more. And his little faith, as Jesus said, oh, you have little faith, his little faith grew because he knew what it was to fall and he knew what it was to be raised up by the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I are like the Elijahs of old and the Peters, many characters in the Bible, the Jacobs. The people with often very little faith. But our little faith can grow as we cry out to Jesus, Lord, save me. Whatever situation you're in, illness, temptation, hardship, distress, marriage, work, whatever the situation, we can cry out to the Lord, Lord, save me. And he will stretch out his hand to us, hold us up and say, it is I, do not be afraid. Let's encourage ourselves from two passages of scriptures as we close. Oh, thank you. Come back again. Hebrews 12, if your Bibles, you can turn to there. These are the last two passages. I want to sing a song with you. We have time for that. <clears throat> no, no. Hebrews 12. Oops, you don't have it? Maybe my fault. Can you go further down? Hmm. Looking unto Jesus. Let's read this together. Let's read this together. First message, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Second passage is from Romans 8, which we all know very well. It's worth quoting from verse 18. Consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all the people say, Amen. Just a closer walk with thee. Can we sing this one, please?
You want to stand, you want to walk, you want to dance, do anything you like, and sing from your hearts. Can we sing that first answer first, then we come back to just a closer walk, which is the chorus? I am weak, but, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as, as I, I walk. Let, let me walk close to thee. A bit faster. Just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Through this world of toil and The Lord who cares Who will me my burden shares None but thee, dear Lord None but thee Just a closer walk with thee Granted, Jesus is my plea Walking close to thee, let it be, dear Lord, let it be. When my feeble life is gone, time for me will be no more. Guide me gently, safely kingdom shore to thy shore let's sing unto the Lord just a closer walk with thee granted Jesus is my plea daily walking close to thee let it be dear Lord let it Thank you, Jesus, that you are our Lord. When the multitudes turned away from you, and you turned to your disciples and said, Will you also go? And Peter replied, Where shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and you are the Son of God. So this morning we come as we come to acknowledge your love for us, your death for us on the cross and your resurrection in the breaking of the bread and the wine, we echo the words of Peter as we think of your great love for us, as we look at the turmoil in this world, we cry out to you, Lord, save us, and say, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And you are the Son of God. We thank you for who you are, Lord Jesus. 
And we continue to ask that your hand will be upon each of our lives to minister to our needs. Some are very hard. Some are in extreme situation. Some are in even conditions we don't know because we are in a state of uncertainty. We ask, Lord, that you will come and minister to us, help us, strengthen us, enable us, and give us the clarity in our lives to serve you. And we commit to your care the whole government and the new president. We ask that your hand will be upon their lives, that they will rule the country wisely, and that your name also will be honored and glorified. This we ask and we thank you, our loving Father, in the precious and everlasting name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated.